0: This is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff, editor in chief of RugbyMag.com, joined, as always, by Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And Pat, we're going to start with you and ask how you're doing simply because. I'm going to be asking a lot of you in the next several weeks, and we've got a lot going on. We've got uh, Elite Cup. We've got test matches coming up. We've got collegiate finals coming up. Um, so I mean, this is this is the busy, one of the busiest times for you and me and also uh, one of the most exciting.
1: Yeah, it is. And I got a little bit of respite or respite or however you pronounce that word from it this weekend. Went to a wedding out of town, had a little non-rugby fun, and uh, I was actually kind of... Remiss that I wasn't able to watch all the games that I wanted to watch live. But I got back and got to watch the uh, day two of all the sevens. I watched day one live and um, got to catch up on the Cal BYU game. So uh, it was a good little break, and I'm excited to to run through the rest of the championship season, which yes. is insane for
0: us. Yeah, yeah. Cal BYU is worth catching up with. And Bruce, you know, I wanted to talk to you because you coached your NYAC team against the Ontario Blues this weekend your team lost but I, I i think it'd be fair to say that uh you were hit a little bit with injuries so you didn't really have um you know i guess a full bench more than anything else um but tell me about that game yeah and, well
2: we it was a it was actually our first loss in 2 years uh, over 2 years and uh so and and we i guess you would say we kind of helped self destructed they, they were better than us um, on the day. Um, but we were leading, and I've said this a million times on the show, and that the object of the game is to outscore the opposition, not outplay them. And we, we outscored them about 73, 74 minutes into the game. We had a four-point lead, and then we just gave up 19 points in no time. You dropped a kickoff, got a penalty, went to the corner, line out in, and they did it again, and then we dropped the kickoff again. I mean, it was just, it was really just a comedy of errors, and we just couldn't get out of our own way. And uh, a and, and 90-yard interception going through, you know, we, we were we'd 95-yard. We were at the goal line, and Dave puck picked one off and, and went 95, and then uh, and we had a line break off a counterattack that went to the two-yard line, and then Doyle got Doyle got popped for a double movement. So there were some big swings in that game that, and some momentum things that just didn't go our way. But I will say it was what a fantastic game. What a fantastic group of guys. And it was really amazing to be able to play a game of that caliber. Now, the, the caliber of the game is 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 very similar to the caliber of, of a life game or a Cal game or a or a BYU game, or thing. It's, it's it's a similar caliber, but it it just needs to have. There, there was just something in the game. There was just something to it, uh, you know. Because even and we certainly can't make excuses about injuries and things. That happens, and to say that they were at 100% full strength would be a would be a lie too. They were, they definitely are are not at at full full metal jacket either due to sevens and under twenties. So there's a lot of things going on with them, but it was, it was a great day. Really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. It was disappointing to lose, but at the end of the day, the better team did win. And yes, we could have won, but you know, we gave up a try early and we gave up 19 points in five, six minutes. You can't give up 26 points in 10 minutes at the beginning and the end of a game and expect to do anything against a good team and win. So, and, and that's what we did.
0: So Bruce, this was a competitive game between uh, a Canadian the Canadian provincial champions and a what was a Super League now an Elite Cup team, elite level American club. So do you envision uh a situation where we could see more of that, perhaps even a competition where it'd be like you know, the top 4 or 5 uh American clubs and you know, four or five Canadian provinces Somehow, in some kind of cross-border competition, is that feasible? Is that desirable? I, we we have to, we discussed that. <clears throat> Excuse me. We did discuss that, and
2: we don't know if it's feasible straight out of the box. Only because it's difficult for the um, for our unions to get together and find time and be able to do it. I think it would be a, probably more than likely be an entrepreneurial approach taken by say, the BC Bears or or the Rock or Ontario Blues, San Francisco, Puget Sound, Glendale, Denver, um, possibly Minneapolis, uh, possibly sh- Chicago teams or Palmer. You know, just teams that can kind of strike into Canada pretty easily. Life is actually going up to play Ontario Blues on the Friday night before the qualifying test match, the second qualifier. We – Committed to playing Ontario blues at least twice a year. Nice. And so we committed to that. I I think life is committed to play them at least once, if not twice a year. So while we may not necessarily have a cross border competition that say leads to anything, we will have cross border competition games and we will encourage our American clubs to continue to participate in things like that. Um, it, it's inexpensive for the Blues to come down. They did it for under five grand. So it would.
0: What well, the so that, the that, issue the issue that we've run into in the Northwest is that uh, the the Seattle Rugby Club, which has been playing in the the BC leagues for years, has essentially been squeezed out. Uh, because it 's difficult to cross the border for the Canadian teams now, this is just crossing the border on a regular saturday and i and I would think if it was a more of a semi professional team that had a had a plan and was going to come in and say even on a Thursday or something like that that might be that might even be easier and perhaps flying would be easier but I do know sort of sometimes it seems like you know, you look at Seattle, and you, it looks like it's not that far from the from the Canadian border. It's about a hundred miles, actually, hundred and fifteen miles from the Canadian border. That seems like that's not a big deal, and there's actually a pretty good venue in between that they could play in. But it it can be difficult. So um, maybe on the higher, higher levels, it's not. As I, I think that when it comes,
2: I think when it comes to club rugby, um, especially some of the social club rugby, it's. It, Guys aren't going to make that kind of commitment to. They don't want to play. Why would Why would they want to let Seattle win the league if every game you had to go to Seattle for was a pain in the neck? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really that's really what it comes down to. If there were four or five teams down in America in the Seattle area, then I think it would be a little bit more. You know, maybe they'd have a little bit more sway, and I, and I think really that that's the reason. But you know, I, you, you see, Cal plays uh, UBC, and and I, and I think that Saint Mary's tried to play Uvic, and uh, and I think that us playing Ontario and life going up and playing Ontario, it's going to happen a little bit more often. And and it, I will say, it was a it was a, it was a it was a great day. I, I expected us to get annihilated, and I, I really. The big—I I, mean—I had dreams about it where we were just getting scored on over and over again, and uh, and it was just. But then we went out on the day and we and we played hard. It was a good game, and 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 I think that because it was a good game, both teams really wanted to do it again, and that was the biggest thing I was hoping to get out of it was not to get crunched, and make them want to come back. And make them want to have us. Well, and that happened. That's so we, not, we committed to that.
0: That's I, I think that's great. And and maybe if Rugby Canada and USA rugby goes to the IRB and says, you know, you're giving us so many millions of dollars for high performance and what if you can divert a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars of that to help fund what is a cross border elite level know below test match elite level competition the sort of thing that the NA4 was except that these teams already exist all you have to do is just say we'll help you a little bit with your your travel it could be it could happen
2: yeah i wouldn't hold my breath
0: no um, but it could happen. i i it's I, logical maybe it, that's why you wouldn't hold your breath yes
2: yes it's a logical idea but i think that the the national team programs in the 20s and high school and things they're kind of strapped for money and the reality is once players get to the Ontario Blues level or the, or the New York AC level, they are identified. They know whether or not they're going to take them. That doesn't – you know what I mean? So – Right, the, the, but uh, – Yeah, but I understand financing I don't. I don't,
0: I don't want to poorhouse a player into retiring.
2: Oh, so hey, look. Hey, look, it happens. Yeah. It happens more often than not. I – most of the players who, who do survive and have long test careers are just guys who absolutely love rugby and and love the fact that they're able to test themselves as people. Rugby's just the vehicle. Um, and sometimes those uh those stories don't end so well. Yeah. Some but yeah, no, I I I still wouldn't hold my breath. But anyway, we've been on that for a while. We should save that for another day. The yeah, Canadian anyways, guys will come on the show to talk about it because we, we have been in really trying to push it, and now we've committed
0: to it. All right. Good. Well, we'll be talking about college rugby and the USA national team, both 7s and 15s, uh, right after this on Rugged Matrix America.
2: Hi, this is Glenn Thomas with the University of Delaware. We'll be competing this June in Philadelphia at the CRCs. Don't miss out. You can check it out at USA7sCRC.com. Go, Delaware.
0: Okay, we're back on Rugby Matrix America, and we saw a lot of college rugby this weekend, and perhaps the biggest game of the weekend was the Varsity Cup Championship, what they call the Varsity Cup National Championship. And while I don't know if the Varsity Cup has the uh, – is really in a position to say what is a national championship or not. Uh, I think most people would con- concur that University of California and Brigham Young University are the top two teams in the nation. Arkansas State and Life might have something to say about it, but uh, they are pretty much expected to be the, the, the top two. The game was at times thrilling, at times really well played at times, a little bit frustrating because it was kind of stop start as will happen when you have two defenses that knock the snot out of each other. But uh, guys, what did you think? 27, 24 BYU wins on a last second drop goal from Johnny Lenahan. It was uh
1: fantastic. I don't mind the stop start. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of rugby games are. There were some good breaks in it. The defense was fantastic. I thought, especially from BYU, they did a great job of coming up and getting into cow's guts. Every time they tried to go out wide and, it was, it was really fun to watch. It was fun to watch Ryan Rowdy and Seamus Kelly both have their moments. You could tell when Seamus finally got that try there towards the end of the game, it was just like a release of he'd been bottled up all afternoon, and he finally got the try, and you could just tell how emotional it was for him. And that was fun to watch. It was fun to see. Um, uh, you know, I'll be honest, this is the the most I've watched at BYU all year just because Tuning in to a, a live webcast on a Saturday afternoon to watch them beat, say, like Dixie State by 100 yeah, points, right,
0: exactly. hasn't
1: been enticing. So it was, it was, it was neat to watch Johnny Linehan and uh, and the scrum half whose name is uh, escaping me Luke at the Mo- moment, Luke Moki. Yeah, Luke Mokey. was, you know, they replaced Dylan or uh, Dylan Luba and uh, and Sean Davies quite well, and now they're going to have those guys for four or five years, and and they're a good duo. And Johnny Linehan, I mean, what a way to jump onto the scene with. With all the points he scored and a drop goal to win, it was pretty fantastic.
0: Well, it was interesting that uh, two two interesting things about this: Cal scores three tries, BYU scores two. They outscored him on tries, but of course lost because it's about how many points you score. And Linehan was was kicking great. Um, and and the other thing is Cal never never led in this game. And I, and i was just trying to think of a game, even even games Cal loses, they're up at some point. And uh, and and they never let.
1: Well, and I don't mean to jump on this, but I've said it a million times. The days of Cal winning 20 national championships in a row, those are long gone. That's not going to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Cal's not going to beat everybody by 100 and, and only trail 10 seconds a season anymore. That's just not going to happen with the way college rugby is booming right now. So I'm not shocked that it was the way it was. Um, but, it, I mean, just what a great game it was. and. The the one thing I didn't want to I mean the the engagement at the end, Moki uh you know asking his asking his girlfriend to marry him, that was pretty exciting to watch. That was too.
0: cute. That was very cute. Uh the penalty goal attempt by Jake Anderson at the end of the first half. Did that go over? Did you see that?
1: I couldn't tell. I mean okay. it's tough to tell. I think there's when you're watching it, whether it's TV or podcast or whatever, or webcast, and they did a great job of the webcast with the replays and all that stuff. Um, I mean, there were a couple of plays on BYU's scoring drive, the go-ahead drive at the end of the game, where I thought there was a knock-on that very well could have been called, and when they gave BYU the, the five-meter scrum for Cal taking it back into their try zone, and he said, you know, Brian Zapp said they took it in and dotted it down on their own. He was in great position, so I'll have to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it definitely looked – I'm not 100% sure that ball ever crossed the try line and was touched down. Um, so, the, I mean, there were some – and I think everyone will agree he missed some knock-ons early on in the game. Um, and I'm not trying to put it on the referee, but there were some some calls that, like you're alluding to that, that could have forced it one way or the other, especially there on BYU's scoring drive.
0: I think that, uh, you know, a knock-on here and there, you know that that's fungible. You can you can say well you know yeah the call them a knock on. Uh, it's it's very rare that you see a kick go over the posts, um, you know uh, g- go so close that there's argument as to whether they're in. You, you usually have the even just two angles on the camera. You usually be able to see okay, you know we know that it missed or we know that it was over. Uh, very rarely do you see a mistake made on that. And I guess that was the. um that was what was weird about it is that it was a very high kick from Anderson. He kicked it higher than the posts, which makes it much harder to make that judgment because the posts at BYU, they're nice posts, but they're not super super high like you see in South Africa or something. They're just nice high normal um rugby posts. So that that's a great thing that we can talk about and we can uh you know, have some kind of uh discussion about whether that was over or not and if it is and everything else is the same at the end of the game the score is 27 24 cal in front and byu still has the ball still has a chance to win it they just would have had to score a try at the end to do it and they certainly had the capability
1: and what about i mean in the first half when they got that they had the the, the five meter penalty directly in front of the posts, and it took them a little while to decide what to do and they eventually took the three points, which probably, I mean, I'm sure Bruce would say was most likely the right move, but when you're in a championship game like this in that kind of environment, uh, what kind of momentum they could have got by pounding that in, you know, selecting a scrum or, or just tapping it Yeah. Called a scrum.
0: Called a scrum with that massive open side, you know. Set, you know, put put your backs left or something and maybe just pick and go. Who knows? You could run a play. You could. I mean, that was a a chance to run a sweat play, but it is kind of risky to do it. I've that been
1: uh, reading Ronan O'Gara's autobiography lately, and he talks about when Munster got over the hump finally in the in the Heineken Cup from losing semifinals and finals to winning. It was because they started to go for the throat a little bit more, and they picked their choices to actually take the line out or take the scrum and the penalty when not to. And it's kind of a um, a. a, a the right feel of the right time to do it but every once in a while you do have to take those take those shots
2: that would be uh, a cr- guys I, i'm kind of a riverboat gambler uh, we tend to go for tries a lot more than anybody but there are there's a couple things about it if if there's any wind or if you take a scrum you always put the referee in the game if you go early it's a free kick they're just still automatics if a prop loses his bind that goes down, he's going to, you know, just put his hand on the ground and reset its penalty. So it, you really put the ref in the game if you take a scrum. On a line out, you the the actual strike rate of scoring off a line out drives from most good teams isn't that good. Um it, it's it's not a high strike. It's not there's not a high strike rate on it. And then the last thing is to run it, which would probably be my preferred option and, and only because it tends to get you the ball back at the one and then you can either pick and go in or cause a little stress in the defense and and the reason I do it is not is is more to keep the team down there because like most teams don't lose a game because of lack of fitness. they lose it because of lack of will at some point they give up. If you leave a team at their goal line, somebody's thinking, "I just want to let them score so I can relieve pressure and get to the midway and have a kickoff." Really good teams don't think that way, but sometimes you'll find. All you got to do is find that one guy, and if you find them and you pump it in, then you know then you start then you start to crack their will a bit because those goalposts look like pencils, um, down the other end of the field. When when you're when you're doing that, but no. in a championship game you do earn those penalties, and if you earn one right in front, a lot of times you just got to take it. You got to take the points and back your restart. And you know, like, hey, that that's why we lost on Saturday. Uh, you know, we 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 didn't we didn't back our restarts, but.
0: You Whatever. know, it, it, one of one of the things about you know mm. we people tap and you see tap and and run. You don't see good teams set up for the most part. You don't see them set up any kind of play on a tap run, and and I I don't really know why. Um, you know, it would seem to me something you would have in your arsenal, uh, two plays, something you do with the forwards and something you do with the backs. Uh, but but I I guess be it it's sort of a. Self-fulfilling prophecy, because it's not done, you don't really practice a play for it. And because you don't practice a play, when it's on, you say, no, we don't have a play for it. The The only time the tap seems to work is when the defense is kind of slow to get up off the ground or they're kind of napping and then somebody has, has it and they tap and they run. And in fact, Cal scored a try exactly that way on Saturday. Um, but it was... You don't you don't see it where it's taking a while. If it's taking a while, then they're either going to go for posts, kick for the lineout, and and this I don't understand. Teams that are losing lineouts will kick for the lineout. Doesn't make any think, that doesn't don't, make any sense.
2: I think it's just when they, you know, teams do what they're supposed to do. They play the percentages. Um, one of the reasons, should, but that,
0: I think they should play their own percentages. I think I, they
2: play general. I, percentages. I, I, I totally get it, and I agree with you. I think that one of the reasons that a lot of teams don't have a play is that the defenses are a little bit more sophisticated now than when we played. Right. Uh, You know, defensive practice when we played used to be, you'd set up a scrum and go, all right, you got this guy, you got this guy, everybody good. All right, let's get out of here. And you set up a line and then you'd set up a line and go, all right, you got this guy, you got this guy, you got this guy, you got this guy, all right, let's get the hell out of here. You know, and, and that's, so it's much more sophisticated and you are and you running into a flatline brick wall defense and that tends to be a little bit more difficult. And I think that – like on my team, I give license to run. And I remind them every game in the locker room that they have license to do what they think is best for the New York Athletic Club at that time. And if it's to run, then run. And if we do it, we all do it. And mm-hmm. – if we choose to kick, then we're all in on that. No matter what we do, we're all in. But they absolutely have license to play. So they're allowed. Every player on that field, for the most part, is allowed to have a quick tap if they want to. You know, Connor Cohen took about four this week. How did they
0: work out? Did they work out okay? Fine.
2: Well, we practice it. We, we practice it in the sense that we – what we do is we, we play, we play a defense game. So we play a game in, in practice where we have 10 or 11 guys. So it's usually the, or the forwards and the two centers or the forwards, the fly half and two centers. Cause essentially the back three is back to cover a kick and the full back and, and, and the fly the scrum half is kind of in the middle of the field patrolling. So you got to cover the field, essentially those 10 or 11 guys. So, That's what we do is we just play against everybody else on the team, however many guys there are, and they all play from free kicks. So it's all just free kicks from the 50, and these guys got to defend it. And they just defend for, like, somewhere between two and five minutes, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. And and they just do it over and over. So all they do is they're playing against free kicks all the time. But they're also doing them all the time. So they know how to do them. But it's just – but we we tell – so, like, there's no real decision-making process that goes into it. It's just bam and go. It's like the referee puts his arm up and they're gone. They have no intention of kicking the ball. Like the the intent that's, is. And that, for that's gone. how
0: that's how St. Mary's plays. And and best. it's also and and uh, to be honest with you, where I got it,
2: where I got it from was probably I, I think it was a freshman or a sophomore in college. So it was either – it was 1980 – somewhere between 1985 and 1987. Jack Clark gave a clinic at an East Penn – in an East Penn uh, – Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. They they used to have coaching clinics there every year, and Clark was talking about how on a, every penalty, they just set and gripped it and ripped it, sent it out to the backs, and, and had a – and just gave it a shot and tried to score every time. Now, it was at the time when if you kicked it, you didn't get the line out. So you kicked it to touch. The You know, you didn't – it wasn't your line out. Uh, also, line outs didn't have lifting at the time either. So it was a little, they were a little bit more – you know, it was a little bit more of a crapshoot. So running a penalty was good and it was more common. But uh, but that's where I got it. You know, that's where I good. say got that means 25 – hit. To, you know, all, 25 years ago, 27 years, something like that. So – but so they were playing that way for a long time. And I would imagine that St. Mary's that they got it from playing that way with the old blues, you know, yeah. and so I, I think that that's yeah.
0: Um, Have a go, boys. Yeah. OK, so. <laughs> so, so be, yeah, it's worth noting that uh, Cal had that one penalty goal they kicked right in front of the post. They did try to quick tap that one as well, but were will call back for not being right on the mark which is why everything slowed down. They ended up kicking. But uh, they did want to tap it. BYU beats Cal 27-24 and a last-second drop goal at home. And I know how I feel about this. And, and Pat, you and I collaborate on the the collegiate rankings. Uh, Give people kind of a preview, maybe. Um, Does BYU become number one based on that result? I think,
1: yeah. I mean, I think they have to. Well, I, I guess they don't necessarily have to, but... Um,
0: I think they have to, but yeah, go on. It's tough,
1: to. I because I, I really do think Arkansas State and Life are there. Like, I think they are right there this year. I think that if all four of those teams, you throw them in the pot, and even St. Mary's, you throw them in there, that you can get a bunch of different results. Um, now, but it, it, still, BYU beating Cal, I mean, I, it's, just, it's just really tough, to be honest with you. Um, I, we're probably going to do it, at least... You know, that would be my guess because I'm on the fence. You sound like you want BYU as number one. So it's probably going to be BYU 1, Cal 2, the winner of D1A3, the loser of D1A4, and then, you know, or depending on what the score of the D1A final is, you could put, you know, Arkansas State above the St. same areas if life blows them out or, or whatever. But it,
0: this well, is the one. Uh, yeah. So so, so the, re- the thing is we had, you know, Arkansas State had beaten life. And then Life beat Arkansas State. So we sort of stuck them at two and three. And then Life beat Arkansas State again. Now, we know that St. Mary's, having lost by uh, 11 to Cal, is, has to be ranked below Cal. And, and you know, this happens in the collegiate rankings all the uh, – excuse me, in the in the college football rankings all the time. You know, the final game of the year, it doesn't matter if – you know you've got a team that's been undefeated another team that has a loss and the undefeated team loses by one point on a fluky play it's the team that beat them that's going to be ranked above them uh i don't i don't think it was fluky for BYU to win but they did have some advantages but then again cal has played BYU at stanford where you know it's virtually on their doorstep and the you know the BYU fans have to travel a long way so it goes both ways i think i think when you play in a championship match you have to just take it at face value. And BYU, by the way, hasn't done anything to make us want to rank them lower other than their strength of schedule was a problem. It's atrocious. And, I and, mean I think they, yeah. they they and the biggest thing the biggest positive to say about them was that uh was was the NYAC game and we tend to sort of slightly discount games against clubs. So the it seems to me that if life plays St. Mary's at, in the D1A final and beats them by 40 or 30, is that then an argument that life is now number two? Possibly. I think is it's it, an argument
1: that life's number
0: one. It's, it's Yes. It's an, Is it an argument that life's number one? Certainly, you could sit there and say St. Mary's is 11 points worse than Cal and therefore by that extension 14 points worse, worse than BYU and therefore if life beats St. Mary's by 30 – then they would be above you. could argue with that. And that's what's going to be great because it is an argument um that is right on our doorstep and I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, no, it, it definitely is exciting and it's fun to watch. And we're going to have a lot more of these arguments going forward, just based on the way crap's going on in the college game. But it, this is the one time when you're like, boy, wouldn't it be great if they all just played it out? Um, because that's, what's so great about rugby or has been that for the most part we have played it out, but you know, um,
0: you, we're but like Arkansas that. State have not played Cal or BYU and vice right. versa. And that's been um and there have been a few invitations sent out. So uh you know that that's always a possibility in the middle of the season.
1: Hey, Arkansas State could have been I mean, Arkansas State would be in the varsity cup right now if they wanted to be. You know, there was informal invitations, talks, whatever. They would be in the varsity cup if they wanted to be right now, but they chose to stay with life. Because they wanted to play in the same competition as them because of the proximity and the, the rivalry they're growing um, so there's,
0: yeah. there's, there's some loyalty there too you know the, those two they, they only really have each other right I don't want to sound so romantic about it but they really only have each other because of their isolation yeah. and so I, I think that's kind of cool I mean if if Tennessee really really picked themselves up to another level and Tennessee's always been a, a good program but if they pick themselves up to another level then, then that would be great but right now it's just
1: that Well they got Lindenwood now right Linenwood obviously yeah. it's young but they've got them now Lindenwood's the closest drive for Arkansas State it's only four hours from Jonesboro and Lindenwood's essentially eight hours from Atlanta so now they've got a threesome right Davenport's in that group there's a foursome and then watch out because William Jesuit's probably coming into that group uh, yeah. pretty soon if they do I mean they could go the rugby east direction but either way that's going to be the best four-team conference. I mean, talk about, you know, whatever you want when you're talking about high, high performance and building Eagles and quality games, quality games. Well, those four teams, Lindenwood, Life, Arkansas State, and Davenport, playing each other home and away each year is going to create some fantastic it's great. rugby players.
0: Well, to show how good Life and Arkansas State are, Davenport was in their conference and lost all their games. Right, right. And Daven- Davenport was do- reigning D1AA champions and very, very good team. Two-time,
1: yeah, two-time, Yeah, beating Dartmouth and San Diego State and everybody. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's going to be a hell of a league.
0: Yeah, so. All right, well, we'll be right back, and we'll be switching gears and talking a little bit about the USA national team. We'll be right back on Raga Matrix America.
2: Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs, whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys,
1: stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports
2: has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com.
0: All right, we're back on Rugby Matrix American. We had a big weekend for the USA 7s team. They went into the Glasgow 7s, as we uh, outlined on our previous show talking to Zach Test and Colin Hawley about the importance of that weekend. They were very aware that they needed to do better than Scotland in order to guarantee that they're back as a core team. That was all they had to do. They had to do better than Scotland. Scotland, however, playing at home. Um, And in the end, I think that what was great about it, the Eagles did do better than Scotland, They made the top eight, and Scotland did not. Scotland lost to England, who had been struggling most of the year, but lost to England and lost to New Zealand, which was not a surprise. Um, But what pleased me was the manner in which the USA went through this weekend. First of all, they talked about how they had bad starts. Their first game, they beat Russia, a team that always causes them problems, beat them 48-5. to They then come close to beating Wales. They don't beat Wales, you know, but, but, and then left themselves up to beat France, which they did do. And then having achieved what they needed to do to guarantee core status, not having to play in a qualifier, all those things, you know, I, I would forgive them. There's still a lot of young guys on that team. I'd forgive them if they had sort of just relaxed a little bit and said, you know, great, we've achieved what we need to. And Sunday is, is gravy. Well, they go out and win the plate. On, on Sunday, and while they did lose to South Africa, they beat Fiji, and they beat Fiji pretty good 22-7, and then beat Argentina in the plate final 17-7. So, what what it, what pleased me, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for the team, and it's obviously huge for the program to make sure that they're still a core team, and that they're they're not on the outside, looking in, hoping to get more than one tournament a year, but what I was pleased with was that once they'd accomplished their goal they continued to play very good sevens rugby and actually you know against Fiji Fiji wasn't even in the game
1: no they they crushed Fiji and it was just a joy to see i mean it, the game started off kind of slow but the way that they just held possession that entire game and really took the physicality to them and you put a big lineup put a big lineup in i think that was probably the first game Brett Thompson started um not 100% sure on that but You put in a big lineup, you have him, you have Duratalo out there, and you're going to say, we're going to play, we're going to take it to you, and we're going to have to beat your physicality, and they did just that. So I thought it was, uh, you know, that game was really promising. I thought when they beat Fiji, you know, in um, Tokyo, that that was a huge turning point for the program, that it was going to be a big momentum builder, and it it was a very marquee win. And it also gave them confidence in this tournament that they could turn around and do it, and they did. And, I mean, that was... Just absolutely massive speaking about that Fiji game
0: so they they do kind of have gotten to a point where maybe they you know they have certain expectations now that are that are better expectations i I, I did like how they're playing now there are a couple of things that strike me first of all, we know we've all anybody who's watched them on, for a regular basis, we know what it was like, even at the beginning of the season. every pass, especially the classic one you see is the is the kickoff down to about the 22 the eagles receive it they set a ruck and then there's a really long loopy pass across the field in their own 22 well how many be honest how many times have you sit there thinking don't drop it don't drop it don't drop it and how many times have you seen a player so nervous or tight or whatever it is he drops the ball or drops the ball in contact. Well, we didn't see those kinds of drops and knock-ons. And the other thing that we started to see recently was a lot of penalties in the ruck. Well, they weren't pe- being penalized in the ruck as much in Glasgow. And in fact, they, they started scoring tries out of ruck ball, out of counter-rucking. And the, the big one, uh, I thought, was actually in the in the plate final where Argentina had a ruck that they'd won right on their 22 he was just standing there with the ball one, and the referee said, Use it. So the Argentina player disengages from the ruck to pick up the ball the ball. As he does that, uh I believe it was niua dives over to try and tackle him, grabs him, the guy drops the ball, duratalo picks it up, makes one dummy and goes and scores. Down seven nothing, now it's seven five. They go into halftime, they turn around and win seventeen seven. So they make two adjustments that are better first of all the ball handling is just so much better and second of all the penalties in the ruck they just seem to be disappearing
1: no yeah that's like the big thing right how many times it's been since i've been paying attention so years you're watching and it's like i get it we don't play rugby as much but how difficult is catch pass because that's where we keep seem to be subbing our toes an awful lot and they through however they've done it and credit to alex Magleby have figured out a way to catch the ball reliably where you're watching a game and you don't have to sit there and, and twinge every time that there's a pass made, whether or not it's going to be caught, they're making the catch. They're making the offload. I mean, how many times Brett Thompson's try uh, against Fiji, how many times did we see that exact play knocked on, you know, whether it was Hawkins to Edwards or somebody else to somebody else, it was, th- that was knocked on instead of being a try, it was a turnover. So um, and I think all credit has to go to Magui because it's not like these guys haven't been coached how to do things. It's got to be a, a in-your-head confidence sort of sort of issue. And he somehow found a way to kind of um, you know get them past that hump, it seems. And uh, it, the other thing it took, that's fun to watch is seeing guys really kind of g- get into their roles. Like at the beginning of the season, Luke Hume came in, and Luke Hume was getting all sorts of time to play, playing time, because of his electric ability to score. We'd seen it in 15s. We'd seen it in the club scene for years. He just wasn't eligible yet. And so he was getting all sorts of starting minutes and playing time. Carlin Isles got more playing time in, say, the first half of the or, of the series than the second half of the series, save in Vegas where he got to start some just because, you know, he was in front of his own fans and we weren't winning, so let's put Carlin Isles in. Now Luke Hume is coming off the bench and is the perfect impact sub. He's exactly what you want. Um, he comes in, he's something completely different. He's a changeup. He's the screwball that nobody else has seen because he runs just, he's that imposing of a strike runner. He's that unique of a runner that he brings you something different off the bench. And Carlin comes in and he brings you something completely different that nobody else, They haven't seen all game and he's coming against tired legs. And that was, those were the things that they were trying to do with Carlin at the beginning of the season. that wasn't working because we were down by two or three tries But now you see the confidence pick up. You see Nick Edwards play out of his skin. Zach Test, who had some struggles earlier in the season that you even wrote about, he's playing out of his skin and made it back on the the all-tournament team. Because those guys are doing well, it's just the positivity keeps building on itself. And now the guys that are coming off the bench are coming off the bench and really scoring tries. That's the remarkable thing is that when you're winning and the starters are doing well, it pushes the subs – to not sit back and wonder why they're not getting more playing time, but to go out and score. Because Jack Halilo has done great off the bench. Luke's done great off the bench. And I think Carlin's done pretty darn good off the bench too.
0: You're right. The the, the increased quality of general team play allows somebody to shine in the right way. And and I think, you know, credit to Alex Maggleby. Alex Magleby's fighting has been fighting a battle, um, not really against the players so much, it's just trying to change how the team operates and how they think about themselves and he benched guys he benched test he benched shalom suniula he benched them on form he said you're not playing well enough you know zach test is coming off a appendectomy um but he said he was good to play that wasn't the issue the issue was he was you know losing the ball in contact. But those guys fought their way back. Luke Hume, I don't think Luke Hume is the starting scrum half for the team because he doesn't pass an awful lot. So it's kind of a difficult guy to have a scrum half uh, for the whole game. But he was starting scrum half for a while because he was injecting some kind of urgency, electric uh, electric play. But if you look at at the the scoring records for these guys, what you see is that when you know, in the middle of the season, they were they were scoring two or three tries a game. That's all they were doing. So you might get that. Carlin Niles will have the one run or the one big play, or you might get Hume the one big play, but that was all you would get, uh, because the the team was sort of put together in such a way that they were behaving as if, you know, we uh, I just want to pass it around. Let's get it to that guy, and he'll go run for us. And there was nothing. It, it wasn't like the team was creating something together. Now what you're seeing is, yeah, Brett Thompson, I thought, played great because Brett Thompson fit into a system just like you know when you see a good team. And, and Bruce, I know you can speak to this. If you have a team that's working together as a team, a culture of a team, you have a guy go down, another guy comes in. If he knows what he's supposed to be doing, people can look and say, hey, he played great. He's a great player. And he goes, yeah, well, he's playing the system. He's playing what we expect him to do. And I think that that's what Brett Thompson was doing. And he's allowed to shine because of that. We're now seeing this team score three, four, five, six tries a game. And, and in Scotland, they scored eight tries against Russia, three against Wales, three against France, okay, just one against South Africa, and then four against Fiji, and three against Argentina. So now the you know what was a two-try team is becoming a three- and four-try team, and I think that's because of the overall team play. And the overall team play comes down to a few guys. One of them was Shalom Suniula, who is demoted from captain, is still, is still not the captain, but understood his role, took his medicine, and worked his way back up. Matt Hawkins, who took over as captain, and is a better captain now than he was last time. And Alex Maggleby, who has orchestrated the entire thing. and And we know... Pat, you and I sat down and talked to him about all the suggestions and people telling him how to coach and things like that. And he smiled and said, yeah, all right, well, we're going to work at this. And what we end up having is they they win the plate for the first time in 10 years, and then they win the plate again the next tournament. Pretty nice. Early in the season,
2: they lost a lot of close games. And I think that they found out some of the combinations that work. They were able to have a bit of time after Hong Kong and Asia to get perspective onto where they are, put it in the, to play better as a team, get a little bit of rest, get the niggling injuries hailed. Then they went into Scotland with a purpose. And they won. Uh, you know, I think that it oh, there were a lot of factors to it, but they won. They, they weren't far off. They will lose in games. I mean, and, and, and yes, it was disappointing and things didn't, you know, maybe they didn't all go the right way. But it, it just took a little time to find out what the team really was and find out how they all kind of fit in together. As to your point about playing the system, etc. <clears throat> sometimes that's a little difficult on attack because different players bring different skill sets and different things to the to the game. But where your consistency should always be there is your consistency should always be there in defense because in defense, you don't have the skill surrounding the ball. You just have to, you really just have to make tackles and, and, and and counter ruck appropriately and reset yourself and identify who you have. So your defensive system should always be really spot on no matter who comes in. Your attack could sputter a little bit. It could also be there could also be an injection of life to it, but because each player um, does things differently. But I think that in having that little bit of time to get perspective, and this is conjecture on my part, is that they kind of learned about each other and learned how to. Great teams, great players make the players around them better, and. And I think that what you were alluding to would say with waiting, get the ball to Carlin or get the ball is I call it the Jesus factor where guys are waiting for Jesus to show up and score the 90 yard try. And, you know, and I I talk to my team about it all the time that we need 15 guys working hard, hitting rocks, going seven, eight yards at a time and we'll score our points. But if we're waiting for one guy to just have some miraculous play, chances that's right. are that's not going to happen. But we'll watch a couple miraculous plays go the other way. So, you know, it, it is about being a team. I, I and I think that they were a team. I just don't think that they knew
0: each other well enough. But they were playing. They were playing tight games though. So they knew. They only were a little bit away there were and a few other little things happened i mean they were trying to build a team and and you know i was i was going through the stats today and i was going through some pictures and reminded me maka enufe was a big part of this team not that long ago and then he got hurt and that was a big loss because he was a he was a a tall athletic kid with breakaway speed, you, it's difficult to lose that guy. And if you're saying, Maka's going to be on the team, Maka's going to be on the team, oh, we don't have him anymore. What do we do now? And they were still trying to build their depth. That was kind of a, you know, that, that discombobulated them a little bit, as did the loss of former of a couple of other players. Falauniua, Niua, I think, I, I keep forgetting to mention him. He, did, he wasn't playing well early, partly because he was coming off an injury. But his defense was, was you know, was faulty, well his defense has really improved and partly that's the whole thing about he knows everyone else knows now if I'm not if I don't perform I'm going to be benched so and and they all what they did was uh you know they came together after hong kong and they had a talk and they said things people stood up and said i know i've been missing too many tackles i'm not going to miss any tackles anymore i know i've been rucked off the ball i'm not going to be rucked off the ball anymore and sometimes it takes a little bit of admitting that kind of thing and niua is one of those guys who he just needed a little bit of time to get back more healthy than he was and a little bit of time to work on certain aspects of his play and now here's you want to talk about a guy who's making other people better there's a guy who's making other people better. I really like watching this team.
1: No, Falao's playing great, and I think your your point of the defense is the biggest thing, right? Because re- this team, and Maka is another great point because the team really didn't have any identity when you so when we started the series. Maka was going to be the speedster. He was going to be the starting wing and or he was going to be at center and making plays. That was the whole plan from the beginning. It seemed right. You lose him, then you have to change the plan. So instead of Carlin Isles in the field, which Carlin Isles, face it or not, has been a distraction for this whole program throughout the entire season. A good distraction to have, but a distraction. So instead of having now Maka, who's the clear starter, and Nick Edwards standing in front of Carlin Isles in the field, now you just got Nick Edwards. So when Nick Edwards is going out there and just whiffing on tackles, then that raises the question, well, you know, do we start Carlin or do we start Nick Edwards? And, I mean, like we know, in Vegas, Alex McAwee straight up asked, Al Caravelli, should I be playing? Am I making a mistake by not playing Carlin? Eventually Carlin ended up getting on the field, but there he put that doubt into the coach's head of what are we doing? Now, if Nick Edwards, who's always had the ability to break tackles and score tries, was making his tackles, there are less questions about whether or not Carlin gets on the field. No so question. his defense has been huge for the team. Same with Falau, same with Shalom. Those guys have all had big defense issues. And so you shore some of those things up, and it brings your confidence together. And your possession better, and that's been a huge part of it. So, that's part of the the thing. Is and I think that just if you look at the story of the whole season, truth be told, if they did like a uh, you know, behind the scenes, uh, hard knocks type film in this, I, I would think that you would look at Maka Nufe's injury and the Carlin Isle scenario and defense all kind of together as kind of a subplot, and you would see that be. Very important throughout the season and the maturation. No question. Now,
0: now to make make the team, you know, you make sure you make your tackles. Number one, you make sure you make your tackles. Um, l- let's let's change. Uh, you know, for, well, congratulations to the U.S. Sevens team, and and they've got London to come up, and and I think, you no, know, I, I I think it's uh, interesting actually that they they named a, th- a squad of thirteen, and we saw a few people um, not on the squad, um, oh, not on the starting lineup. That we normally see at the end of, of the Glasgow Sevens. Colin Hawley, Blaine Scully were were on the bench. Um, Hawley did not play at all in the final game, so you might see somebody um, rested. They'd already taken uh, Pila Taufa as a uh, as a backup, and I would be very surprised if we did not see him in London. Um, you know, yes, the USA can catch Canada, but it, it's it's almost irrelevant at this point. It, this might be a great time for the USA to perhaps test. Uh, some other guys get Brett Thompson a lot more playing time, save some other guys so they don't get hurt for the uh, Sevens World Cup. But um, congratulations to the USA Sevens team. Looking ahead. On- Can I disagree with you yeah, real quick yeah. on that? You don't think, you don't I mean, think they, they need should? to. Not remotely. This team needs well, I to didn't, I didn't, OK, confidence. so I didn't, I didn't say that they should. I just said I think they might.
1: OK, That's well, I, I don't think, think that they I will. Think they I think might. that. I they brought, think, they wow, brought Pila. May...
0: They brought Pila and I think that if anyone is hurt at all, e- even kinda a little bit, I think he gets arrest. Okay. That's one thing.
1: Fair enough. It's
0: yeah. just the way things are. Um, I, I, I wanna I wanna look at the the, the men's fifteens team for a little bit. They did have a camp. Uh and and I wanna check in with Bruce who was not at the camp, but you know everybody who coached there and played there and um, you know, you probably had a drone flying over um what are the impressions bruce of the uh the and this is a camp that didn't have our overseas pros uh i know todd clever was in japan in camp with his club there um a couple of other guys were not available peter Dahl wasn't able to get there things like that but it was th- uh 32 players um of pretty good pedigree uh I, and i want to know what your overall impressions are and i definitely want to know what you think of the youth movement in the front row that's coming through from uh, Mike Tolkien's picks.
2: Well, I, I, I spoke to Mike, and I, and I spoke to Toby and Troy and, and, uh, and Brian Doyle, and I didn't speak to anyone else, but I did speak to them. And to a man, they said that nobody at camp didn't belong. And that everybody picked things up relatively quickly, and that athletically and skills wise they were fine uh they did a lot of work on scrummaging they didn't do as much on line out they did some line out skill work uh they did i'm I know they did a ton of work on their on their phase option decision making as to uh you know how they'll how how they'll use their alignments and how they'll set up and then how they'll attack off those alignments, and uh, and I know they did a ton of work in the contact area because I think that that's a uh, that's an area that they they feel that they can always improve at and 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 the team that wins the contact area tends to win the game, so they 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 spent a lot of time on that and 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 as I said the guys that I spoke to, and, and I spoke to Mike about it, they were really happy with the level of talent in the camp. Now, that's not to say that every single player in the camp is going to be an Eagle, but that every single player in the camp is minimally capable of being a very good player at Eagle A level, and some, to many, have potential to be senior 15s national team players. And as far as the youth movement in the front row, I I think that you just, I I think that in all positions, especially critical ones like um, front row, scrum half, fly half, fullback, you know, positions that, that, that are somewhat specialized, number eight, that you always want to have, you always want to have an, 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 a lot of depth. Uh, you want to have an enormous amount of depth. So you want to have, you want to have youth, you want to have experience, you want to have people that you can draw on that are going to be capable of playing. Um, and, and I think that they were happy with a lot of the development that happened in the front row, particularly with the, uh, with the young high school American, um
0: Tt Yeah, they said that
2: kid is uh, that kid's he's a kid's a monster. Real. Yeah, he's for real, um, and that you know, I don't know when he's going to be able to contribute, but he's uh, he's supposedly a very very good player. Um, Jordan Bowie, Nick Wallace, very good players, and and then they had they had Pittman, and I heard McDonald uh who had, who had been really struggling with an injury all year. Uh Brian Doyle told me McDonald was fantastic. He said he was fantastic. He said he was scrummaging really well. Um apparently Biller was scrummaging pretty well. So there's a lot of uh and Pittman was playing quite a bit of loose head. So that's I, I think that they're looking at McDonald and Pittman there. So it's a pretty it was a pretty interesting camp. I, I, uh, based on the fact that they had a lot of guys who weren't experienced, I did expect that a lot of them wouldn't be up to it. To hear that none of them were were dead wood was pretty impressive to me.
0: That is that is a good move. T. T. Lamisatelli, by the way, have you seen the size of that guy's legs? Just just fire enormous. Oh, exactly, fire hydrants. exactly. hydrants. Exactly right. Um, he. There were three props at that camp from the Chuckanut Rugby Club in uh, Northern Washington State: uh, Sean Petman, Satelli, and Nick Wallace. Which is pretty impressive for one uh, one high school program to have three guys in the Eagle mix at one position um, at the same time uh, and not be called Jesuit. Uh, pretty pretty nice. Um, we're gonna see some other. We're gonna see some other guys in this in the mix too. Also, aren't we? Um, Peter Dahl, Seamus Kelly, um, you know, people like that.
1: Bruce, I wanted to ask you real quick about Phil Teal. He, he was in the camp. You played against him this spring. How does he look? Does he look like he's going to be back in an Eagle jersey sometime soon? And a proper hooker.
2: Phil's been playing prop. Uh, in- the thing about him is he's 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 a great guy with a great he's he's just got a great personality and a and a great attitude. So he's not there yet. And he's definitely uh he definitely looks like he's been following the Bruce McClain Pat Clifton diet plan for the <laughs> past year or so. But uh he hasn't he hasn't quite gotten into our uh into our pants sizes yet, but he is he's not far off. <laughs> But um, yeah, he probably needs to dump a few pounds and needs to get himself in shape. And and I, I think that get himself mentally feeling like he deserves to be there because he's well prepared and then he'll be fine. But right now, I just think he's making a comeback. And because he was a national team player who was who was a good player and a contributor that since he's making a comeback, they're taking a hard look at him. And I yeah, think that if he does said... come back, he will come back as a prop, and I think that if he <clears throat> but i wouldn't put it i wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility for him to be a hooker i think, but he does he probably has to he either has to drop or shift or he you know he's gotta he's got gotta drop or shift about twenty twenty five pounds before he's gonna be Uh, in serious consideration, I would think. And I I didn't actually ask Mike about particular people and selections or things of that nature. I just asked about generalities and how people did and how they performed and what kind of stuff they were doing and things like that. So, and, and the same with the players. I didn't ask about specific guys and things you know where they think people are going to play and who's going to start where. I did see Will Holder as well because they drove him back to West Point on um, when he came back from camp. But uh you know, he said the same thing. He said that basically everybody was pretty good. And that's I, that's why they have like I think they call each other once or twice a week the coaches and 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 all the people and they have a little conference call. And I think that's kind of helpful where they so I think that the talent identification or the player identification process I, I, it, it leads to having fewer duds because they're doing a little bit of due diligence on it you know and, and I think that ideally they would you know have more communication with the players um, you know but at least they're communicating amongst each, themselves so it, it's coming along you know it's coming along we'll see how it all plays out. I will you know, say Chris, we, Chris Chapman played like an in international he had, he'd been hurt and, you know, had a, had a rough ARC and had a rough, uh, you know, and probably didn't practice that well on the fall tours, but I'll tell you, man, he played out of skin this weekend. It was, unbelievable. He, he,
0: you know, he looked, he looked really good when I saw him play, uh, you know, I guess it's a month and a half ago. Um. And he did look, you know, he did look a different player than the one in the ARC. Who's in the ARC? I, I, he looked nervous more than anything else.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it was his first, it was his first assembly, and uh, yeah, I don't know what happened there. I, I, I don't know.
0: Chapo it happens. Definitely.
2: You know, you can well, you can, you can just mean, play poorly sometimes. You have a, a lot bad, of times, bad. A lot of times, a player's worst enemy is themselves and uh and 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 that can be that can be the case in for chapo, but I will say i was i you know i i told him after the game that I thought he'd play like an international player, and he did and he was good man he was good, which was uh there was a, the, i will say in the game that we played against Ontario, the internationals played like internationals, and that's what made the game great. And the guys who were elite top players played like it, and the other guys who were not elite top players played really hard. They just wanted to show that they belonged, and they did. So it was great. It was that that part of it was great. That's why we got to do it a lot. But yeah, now nah, the, the Eagles will be
0: all right. I. Uh, it's really a case of who's going to fill in when somebody needs a rest, who's going to, you know, who's the depth when, um, you know, we've got an injury. Well,
2: they're going to they're going to have to manage that. I I think that you may say yes, you know, who's going to start? That leads to complacency. I I think that when teams do that, they they tend to really fall apart um, because players don't work hard and 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 players do anything to, to save their position as opposed to compete for their position. Uh, I, Mike tends not to be that way. So I think that they're not going to be able to get that complacent. I think that they will make changes if they feel that someone is out of form and they are going to have to manage it. They, they play, what do they play? Canada then they play Ireland, then they play Tonga, then Fiji, then they got to play
0: Canada twice. Japan in there as well. And then yeah.
2: Japan. So, I mean, you're looking at seven test matches, and some guys will be coming off a, sevens, a seven circuit. Guys will be coming off a a rough 15 season, uh, especially the guys that a life in Puget Sound and, and, and other teams that play in the Sweet 16 and the Final Four. Those guys will have had a season full of two game weekends and, you know, they they probably are not going to be at the peak of their fitness and health. Um, so I think that that they're going to really need to manage this properly and they're going to need to identify the best touring party that they can and also keep tabs on guys that they may need to bring in in the event of injury or something like like that. The medical staff is going to be the key to success in in the going forward. They have a really good medical staff, but the medical staff is going to be key to success. That's for sure.
0: Okay, no doctor needed on this show. This is a good show, and we will be keeping an eye on, on the Eagles. We will also be looking ahead to uh, the CRC, the USA7CRC, which is coming up first weekend in June. Don't forget about that, USA7CRC.com. And also don't forget that you can go on iTunes to get Rugby Matrix podcasts. And you can also subscribe to Rugby Magazine. Don't forget you can subscribe to Rugby Magazine now uh, through RugbyMag.com when you get a RugbyMag.com premiere subscription. But you can also just get the magazine on its own uh, from the apple store for your ipad or iphone and also on the android app store and also uh with kindle and reader check it all out details on rugbymag.com but you can subscribe to rugby magazine pretty much any way you want electronically and look for that so for pat clifton and bruce McLean, this is alex goff thank you for listening to Rugby matrix america